Hey, Phil. I, I don't think that's a very good attitude. You can't talk about hurting other players. You don't think? You don't, you don't think? But I don't think you should be butting in when I'm talking to my team. You're my assistant, okay? You're supposed to back me up and go get me juice boxes when I tell you. Now go get me a juice box. You know who you're talking to? I'm talking to the juice box guy. You're crazy. Well, I'm not crazy. I'm just thirsty. Why well, now you go to hell? No, you go to hell. While you're there, why don't you grab me a juice box? I'm no juice box boy, I'll tell you that. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. You're like your old man. I'm not like my old man. If I weren't for these kids, I would whip your butt. I can take a punch. I'm out of here. Bye-bye. I'll see you, Mr. Big Time Coach. Bye-bye. I'm not like my old man. I'm a kind and gentle, compassionate human being with a heart as big as a lion. We'll see you later, juice box. Everyone wave goodbye to juice box. Literally wait! Do it! Here's two! Everyone wait! Okay. Guys. I don't want winners out on the field. Who's a winner? I said, who's a winner? Everyone's hand should be up. I am. Okay, everyone bring it in. Who are we? Tigers. What? Tigers. All right, let's break someone's clavicle on three. One, two, three, break someone's clavicle! Welcome to Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. The real, relevant, necessary conversations to help you navigate coaching, teaching, learning, and life. Coaches, welcome in to episode 45 of Essential Coaching Conversations. This is the Mike Sellers episode. For those who know, back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, Mike Sellers was a fullback for the Washington football team, now the Washington Commanders. Um, and he was a big boy. He, he would truck people up and down the, up and down the field. And uh, let's, let's, I guess, throw a little shout out, I guess, to the fullbacks. Dustin Mills, if you're listening to this, I think, yeah. Dustin, you are, uh, you are the fullbacks guy. And so we are very appreciative of the fullback, even though it's really not something that's prevalent in football anymore. Um, but I want to show some appreciation to my guy, Mike Sellers. Kyle, how about you? I'm going with a little guy by the name of Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Who? 45. Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Different from Michael B. Jordan, correct? Correct. Correct. Uh I was in high school at the time when he came back with the Wizards and threw back to number 45. And I'm assuming these stories are true, but you know, him and his brother wore 45 when they were in high school and Michael didn't make the varsity team. So he wore 45 on the JV team. And then there's some story about um, you know, when he ended up making it, he took 45, divided it by two, which was 22 and a half, and rounded up to 23. And that's how he got the number 23. I don't even know if that's true or not, but I know I've seen that before. So I think that's kind of a neat thing. And, you know, when I was in high school, still playing basketball, everybody wanted to be like Mike. And um, I believe he led the team in scoring even after coming back with the Wizards that year. And he, he did. I was, I was living in that area and everything was Michael Jordan this, Michael Jordan that. Yeah. And he was 20, he was 20, 22 points, something like that. After winning a couple of three peats, after going and hitting like 230 in the minors, um, all that. So, you know, big Michael Jan Michael Jordan fan growing up. And we didn't start this till I think like episode 30 or so. So we would have missed the opportunity to shout him out at, at number 23. So 
been waiting on number 45 this whole time to give MJ the goat his shout out. So we're going to get into that conversation another time about who the goat actually is, uh, but not for today. But I do think this is a perfect segue into our topic du jour, which is and, and Michael Jordan is probably the ultimate uh, one of these. And that's about competitiveness and being a competitor and what competition actually is and sort of how we view competition. And I think, you know, just to start off, maybe kind of what competition is not. Um, I, don't, I don't really believe, and Kyle, you can obviously we'll have this conversation. You can absolutely disagree or correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, competition is not something that is like, I, I don't need to hate the person I'm playing against to feel like I'm competing against them. I think it's actually quite the opposite. Like there's a healthy respect in competition that I want your best. And it's like, I'm fine if you beat me giving me your best, if I'm giving you my best, because I know the next time we play, I'm going to get you. And that's kind of how, to me, it's like that iron sharpening iron type of mentality of, I just see you as somebody who's going to help make me better. Um, You know, I think, when we've started assigning scores and medals and awards and things like that for competition, not to say that any of those things are bad. I think there is, there's a tremendous, um, like tremendous quality and achievement. Like that's fine. But if that's why we are competing, I think we've lost the point of competition. And so then conversely, if all we want is the accolade that comes with competition, and we just want to play the easy competition so we can look better. I, I, we will talk about that later. I have my own thoughts about that, but that is actually like to me, sort of violates the spirit of competition altogether. Yeah, I think anytime we start to have one of these conversations, we kind of start from similar places. We're like, okay, what do we define this as? So whether we're talking about competition, whether we're talking about standards, winning, losing, recruiting, relationships, all that stuff. Like we have to define what it is. Uh, and and you and I very simply just go to the root of the word. The Latin root of the word means to strive together towards something. And it obviously helps to have someone else to compete against to make each other better. And I, and I do love the iron sharpens iron um, tagline. And I'm not viewing you as um, an enemy or an opponent necessarily, but like when I, I do think if you if you can just fundamentally change the way you view competition, and it's not so much like us versus them, but more like me versus myself. Like who are we really competing against? And ultimately, I think true competitors are competing against yesterday's versions of themselves. And in order to try to be a little bit better tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I am competing against myself. And there's a lot of inner drive and we can talk about inner voices versus external formulas in a little bit, but it certainly will help me if I have someone that can help me get there. And that's where you come in. That's why we need another team on the floor in order to do that. But a lot of times I feel like it's it's so easy to just say we were competing by looking at the scoreboard, looking at the standings, looking at the podium, the records, the medals, all of that. But I think ultimately, you know, the, the opponent is ourselves. 
both in this individual moment and then us collectively over time. And, you know, if, if we are pushing ourselves to that better version of ourselves tomorrow, again, I, it's going to be really difficult to do that just by myself. And yeah, I can compete against some other constraints like a time or a score and a drill. If I'm by myself, you know, me trying to be Michael Jordan in my driveway all by myself, you know, three, two, one, trying to hit the game winning shot. There's value in a, in a lot of that. Cause I think that breeds creativity. And if you miss the shot, you know, you add three seconds or you say you got fouled, you know, you want to shoot it again until you win the championship. But I'm going to ultimately reach the best version of myself if I have someone that is well-suited to push me there. And, and there is a bit of a Goldilocks component to this. If you're that much better than me, then I'm likely only going to get so much better because there's going to be some frustration that sets in. Um, maybe you're so overwhelming for me that there there's not the space for me to get better. And then obviously if, if, and the, the converse of that is true. Um, if I'm that much better than you, like, yes, I'm beating you and I can say that I'm competing against you and I'm, I'm, I'm whipping you. But if you're not offering enough resistance to push me to get better, then bad habits could form and I could beat you without even really having to try. And so we've got to find those great sparring partners, as you like to say, where I'm going to beat you some, you're going to beat me some. And then by virtue of that winning and losing, there is a ton of value in the reflection and the Raka process on understanding why we were, you know, quote unquote good or why we were bad that day. And again, I think there's some room for conversation here to kind of throw good and bad out of our vocabulary and just focus more on like the decision-making process and the experience and sort of what um, resulted from that. And I had written a blog series uh, on our website years ago when we kind of first started and it was a reframing winning series. And there were four parts. And, and I believe part two of that was us versus the standard. And I think standard is a word that has been a little bit adulterated over time, kind of like the word culture and leadership and those kinds of things. But when we really get down to it, what standards are, if they've been collectively and individually defined, and if we stick to those, then now we're getting to the true root of what competition is. And that to me, that's the, that's the most exciting part about a lot of this. Um, because if I think if we're only viewing competition as game day, we're missing out on made up statistic 90% of the experience. If you play football, you've got to wait all week for that game day. And so what are we doing the other six days to quote unquote compete? And if you're playing baseball, you're playing every other day, three or four or five days in a row, then it feels like all you're doing is playing the game, but then are we losing the true essence of competition? And so I think that, you know, there's a lot of ways we could probably go with this, but just kind of throwing out some of these questions to get your thoughts on them on what is competition, who are we really competing against, and then what does it take in order for us to strive to kind of be our better selves? So it's funny you say that who are we really competing against? Because my, I used to tell my South County teams, and I've even told my, you know, this first Worcester Academy team or kind of the program that we have that every day we're competing against ourselves from yesterday. So whether we're practicing, whether we're just watching film, we're doing yoga, we're in the weight room, we have a game, whatever it is, we're not, I don't care who the opponent in front of us is. Their whole job is to get us out of our bad habits or actually to put us into our bad habits and to expose what our bad habits are. So this, this competition conversation really turns into a character conversation 
what are the repeatable positive habits that we have? And then when we have a new training partner in front of us, how are those bad habits exposed and how do we turn them into positive habits? So when even when we talk about like, you know, you and I sort of poke fun at these coaches who are all about adjustments, right? The in-game adjustment could be as simple as being able to assess those habits. What is the other team or what are we doing to ourselves that are disallowing our positive habits to show? And so I think that in and of itself is a form of competition because we are constantly competing against our own sort of like less, like most, um, help me out here. What am I trying to like? Not the, it's not less, lesser desires. It's like our most sort of vice like desires to be lazy or take the easy way out. And there are going to be certain teams or certain opponents or even people that you play with daily that allow you to do that. And sort of you can then attack that slack and like be less competitive, but still win. But in the long run, that lack of competition and that lack of competitiveness is probably going to cost you. Because when you go and play against that good training partner that's expecting you to be at your best, but you've sort of practiced at you know, a mid level, and then you're all of a sudden expected to rise to the occasion like that just doesn't happen. And so it leads me to this thought that I had, and, and I sort of prefaced it in the in the beginning here of when somebody like when you first see your schedule, what is the initial thought that you have? Is it, oh, my God, I can't believe we have to play that team. Oh, they're going to crush us. Oh, these kids can't do that. We're going to do it. Or is it cool? Like we get to play the best team in the league. Right? When you're looking at the pros, and we can use the pros as an example because of the way they schedule, everybody plays everybody. You don't play everybody the same amount of times, but everybody plays everybody. So if you are the Washington Wizards and you are terrible, you still have to play the Warriors twice. If you're the Warriors and you're really, really good, you got to play everybody else 82 times and you're going to get everybody's best shot every night. Why is it that we shy away from competing alongside the best teams and the best players that we can find? Is it because we want to feel better about ourselves? And say, oh, yeah, I won. Like, even in, you know, you think about AAU, like live periods and stuff are going on right now. Yeah, we went 4-0 this weekend, and I, I played great. Who'd you play against? Did you make great decisions? Show me the film. Objectively, did you do the things that we are asking you to do? Right? Especially when, and here's here's maybe a different side of this conversation, especially when, there's no college coaches there watching you because maybe it's not a live period. Maybe you're just playing in a tournament on a weekend and there's nobody there watching you. Are you still doing the right things? Are you still trying to improve? Are you still competing against that standard that you have for yourself that you say you have? Or when the going gets tough and you're playing against a better team, or maybe you're playing up an age group or something like that, all of a sudden Oh, we can't compete with them. We're going to get crushed by them. Look how tall their players are. 
Look how good they are. That girl's going there. That girl's going there. That guy's doing this. That guy's doing that. Okay, and are you not just by virtue of being at that event and competing in that bracket or whatever? Like, do you not belong? Should we put you down a level so that you can feel better about it? Right? So I think that there's a lot of truth to this idea that we have adulterated what competition means, right? We can talk about the definition and the root and all of those things. But at the end of the day, like our competition, even amongst ourselves. So like me and you, you push me to be better every single day. I don't know if I push you to be better every single day, but I'm going to tell you right now, like we can compete in a healthy way of, all right, hey, Kyle's getting after it doing this. Maybe I should step up my game too and we need to do this together. And then we we sharpen each other's ideas and, we, and it's not like, man, that Kyle guy is so stupid. I can't believe he didn't think of that. Like, no, it's in a true partnership, which that's what you're doing when you're competing. You're in partnership with the other team. That's where sort of sportsmanship comes from. Right, We are in partnership to play a clean game and be able to have a worthwhile experience while competing alongside each other. And one of us will win, one of us will lose. But if we both play our cards right, both of us walk out of this game, this match, this conversation better than when we walked into it. And ultimately, like that's the goal of competition. If we knew that we were going to win every game because we had prepared the path for our children, for our our teams, for ourselves, there would be no fun in that. The fun is always in the chase. It is not in the destination. It is not like, yeah, winning's fun. But you know what's even more fun? When your heart's beating out of your chest, when it's a two-point game, but you know you've prepared your team to handle that moment. And that they can go compete with the best of their habits and they can go win the game for us, not at the expense of the other team, but by taking advantage of how the other team has forced us to do what we need to do and us doing the same to them. That's what's fun, right? That's what real competition is. And so I even like, and I'll I'll sort of end it on this part and throw it to you, but I even think about this in terms of recruiting. So let's say you are, you know, you're, you're a college coach, you're a prep school coach, like you're recruiting new players into your program. And yeah, you have the current players that you have, but what's the best way to get up, to get better as a team? It's to have better players. So you can do that one of two ways. You can develop all your current players, which we should all be doing. And you're wearing the shirt right now, right? Recruit everyone every day. That's that's yep. more than just being nice to people, right? That is recruiting their heart and mind, making sure that they know that their player development and their personal development comes first. All of those things that we've talked about ad nauseum. But the other way is to actually recruit better players to be a part of your program and sell them on the vision that you have. And so when you have an established roster or you have a roster and all of a sudden you inject some new talent in there, what's the initial reaction from your players? What's the initial reaction from your parents? Is it, oh, that kid is, is going to take playing time from this other kid. That kid's going to take playing time from my kid. I hate this. Or is it, man, I can't wait to play with that kid. That kid can really go. And yeah, we all have a little bit of trepidation. Like we want to be able to prove ourselves and things like that. But at the end of the day, like, 
if all you want in competition is to come out on top every single time, you're in the wrong in the wrong profession or in the wrong game, right? Not everybody wins every single time. If you want to, then you can go play rec and you can put together a team that you want to play with and find kids that are terrible and just beat up on them. I mean, be like the Harlem Globetrotters and the Washington Senators, right? If that's what you want to do. Or the, the, not, the, not the Senators, the, the generals. generals. The Generals, yeah. yeah. But even the Generals get one every now and again. Right? This is not a performance. This is a competition. And they're going to give their best. We're going to give our best. And we'll see what happens after that. If you can't stomach that, whether that's every day in practice, whether that's being recruited over, whether that is additional players coming into a program that you're a part of, and even as coaches, like, do we feel that way when new assistants get hired, that we automatically have to compete with those people because they've been recruited to come here? Or is it, hey, maybe they have some really good ideas that we can all benefit from, and now we've sharpened each other and we get better for our kids? I know that was like a lot, was a lot but... I'm curious to hear your thoughts on some of that. Well, the word that I wrote down while you were talking was just simply respect. A respect for yourself, a respect for your opponent, but then a respect for whatever venue you're in, for the game itself. And we hear that a lot. Like kids these days, they don't respect the game. You know, it's more about showboating and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but again, like what example is being set for them to respect the game itself? Like, Lane Burroughs, our baseball coach, I, I love listening to him talk a lot of times. And he talks about how like he has this idealized version of what baseball is supposed to be. That when you go out there, it's not about the other nine on the field, you know, when you're at bat or, or in the other dugout, it's you versus the game of baseball. And there is just this almost like romantic respect to me when I think about that. And I, I hear him talking you know to his players about that we're like man like that's that's powerful like the game of baseball doesn't go anywhere the opponents will change the mascots will change the seasons will change the weather will change like all of those kinds of things but the game itself is like is timeless and inherent and at the end of the day you are going to know whether or not you achieved or how close you got to that idealized version of that product for you versus Hey, we beat this team or we beat that team. And I think part of it is removing the the word compete from quote unquote win in terms of a scoreboard. And we can use the word win, but when I use the word win, because I'm I'm it's probably going to slip out here quite a few times throughout this episode, but I'm talking about our definition of win, the next best decision, our character. Our, our repeatability of our positive habits. What are we doing to dominate the next best decision? And essentially stacking those wins. And Jason Fry would talk about like hitting singles over home runs. Like, yeah, we might hit a home run every now and then, but if nobody was on base, like limited damage, right? But if we can stack wins and stack singles, sig singles and then hit a triple, now we've got some momentum cooking, right? And I just think it's it's... When you're trying to win the scoreboard, that with it brings like a ton of inherent pressure with a lot of things that are outside of your control. And there are a ton of things that we cannot control. But the truth is, we have a lot more of these controllable areas within our grasp than we probably think. 
because ultimately everything comes down to what our next best decision is going to be. And it's very easy to say like, oh, we don't have these resources or, oh, this was out of our, you know, this wasn't, we didn't get a fair shake or this was a bad call or, you know, I, well, two of my best players weren't here, you know, so we're not going to win this game or whatever, but like, and that might be the case, but you still had an opportunity to compete. You still had an opportunity to get those wins. And you and I have talked about this in a lot of different ways in a lot of different episodes in a lot of different conversations, even off air that. There were plenty of times in our coaching careers where we would win games, but be less competitive and take a step back in the competitive realm. And there were probably more opportunities and more instances where we would get our asses kicked, but we actually got better in a competitive space. We would lose maybe by 10, 20, 30. I mean, anybody out there ever gotten beat by like 50 points? I have. But even in those instances, there are ways where you can compete and you can get better. And again, in my mind, like that takes so much pressure off because your experience is your experience. It's nobody else's. Your story is your story. Nobody else's. You get to dictate all of those things. You get to control what that next thing is going to be. And maybe you do go get beat by 50. But the way you come in and practice, the way you prepare, you plan, the way you walk in, how you get better the next day, that's what competition is to me. And by virtue of having to go get hammered by 50, that creates a bigger opportunity to learn what competition actually is. Whereas instead of going and beating somebody by 80, anybody out there beating anybody by 80? I have. It's a lot harder to compete and get better when that's the case. And I think all of that is kind of a long-winded answer that comes back to that word respect that I've written down and circled several times down here. And the best definition I know of for respect is to give something time. And so by virtue of giving that practice plan time, by virtue of giving my opponent time, by virtue of thinking about what our idealized version of the game of baseball might be, that is me respecting the game because I'm giving it the necessary time in order to prepare and then compete to achieve, uh, you know, whatever that might be. And I, I, I do think that looks a little different for everybody else. But again, I, that's what makes it so much more attainable for everybody. Every single person out there can get a win with their next best decision, regardless of what has happened to you. And um, I, I just, I think we miss the boat on that quite a bit. And you know, even like in playmakers. You know, as you say, like we keep score, but we don't keep records. And I think a lot of times people think like, oh, they're just showing up and playing like tag and keep away. And it's just like babysitting hours and we're not really trying to win. And it's like, no, we are. There's value in winning and value in losing and how to treat your opponent respectfully when you're up 80 or when you're down 80 and how to respect the game when you're up 80 or down 80. There is a ton of value in winning and losing a rep. And so like even in playmakers, we might not be playing full court five on five on 10 foot hoops, but every single rep is an opportunity to compete, meaning that there is going to be a quote unquote winner or loser in every single thing that we do. And every single one of those opportunities is exactly that. It's an opportunity. Win, lose, reflect on it, think about it, get better, strive together, and then move on. And now we're on to the next. I love that you mentioned the word respect because that is on the human component wheel as well, mm -hmm. right? So when we think about even how we treat the game and how we treat 
being allowed to participate in something. There's a healthy respect that has to exist for that thing. Otherwise, we start to take it for granted. And that's where competition doesn't matter anymore and where we get complacent and where we start to feel like this is something that's owed to us rather than something we get to earn every single day. And as somebody who didn't get to do that in high school and who obviously didn't get to do that in college, the fact that I see people throwing away the opportunity to be a part of something awesome and to, to go out and compete against the best of the best to show like, hey, you know what? They might have got me today, but I'm going to get them tomorrow. Right. I, and so I think where there's value in learning that respect that that value comes, I think, from playing pickup and from playing sort of this this um, something you make a choice to play. So here's what I mean by that. A lot of the leagues and a lot of things like even playmakers, like somebody has to sign you up for that, right? Like somebody has to sign the kid up. They have to make the choice. This is how the child is going to spend their time. Yeah, it takes re- it takes resources and time to do some yeah, of those things. It takes Absolutely. resources and time to do that. But when you as a human being choose to go compete for fun and say, you know what, I'm just going to go to the park and get picked up onto a team and all of a sudden, I don't I may not know these people or we play with the same group every week. We know who's going to be at the run. Right? It doesn't matter. Either way, you have to show that you can add value to that team right away. Right away. Otherwise, what's going to happen? You're not going to get picked up again. And if you lose, what happens? You got to wait. Instead of, oh, well, that's all right. We got another game in a couple hours. Like, I already know who my team is going to be. It's fine. And I sound a little bit like a crotchety old man right now saying that, but I really think that that's where you learn the healthiness of competition is by playing with and against players that are better than you. Right? I don't know about you, Kyle. I'm going to speak for myself, but I'm going to throw this question to you and then I'll continue with this this train of thought here. Growing up, or even as an adult, like when I would play pickup in college or when I'd play, you know, I'd be home from college or whatever, like grad school, et cetera, et cetera. Like, if I was the best player at a court, first of all, it probably wasn't a very good court. <laughs> but it wasn't fun to just dominate the people that we were playing against. The most fun I ever had playing pickup was getting my shit sent by our 6'11 finish center at old dominion and like i went up for a shot and he pinned that against the glass you know what i mean like that was fun for me because i was like dang i've never played against this before this is going to be a challenge how do i make sure that that doesn't happen again Mm -hmm. but i think part of competition then and, and sorry let me throw it to you in terms of pickup which experience would you rather have I mean, I, I don't want to win every single game over and over and over again because you're going to get bored. And, I, and yeah. I think that's where like, we as adults get in kids' ways of competing because kids will naturally fix that. Mm-hmm. You know, If they go to a court and they're just picking up 
you know, it could be flag football in the yard. It could be wiffle ball. It could be a game of ultimate. It could be anything like dart. It doesn't matter. But if you let kids leave them alone and let them play and one team is stacked over another, it, the kids getting hammered are going to quit and go home. Like, cause they're just like, well, this is no fun. It's like, well, we need y'all to play. So stay. But then other kids that are truly competitive, they're gonna be like, well, this isn't very fair. We got the three best players. And, and you know, the, those like super ultra competitive kids, I'd be like, you know what? You other two guys, y'all go over there. I'll beat both of y'all. You know, give me these scrubs over here and I'll still beat you. And you, Jimmy, you, that will, that will naturally happen on every playground, play pad, yard, park, bit like whatever. But we feel like, again, as the adult, hey, let's get this special rubric. Let's have these kids run around cones. Let's chart their makes on layups and see if it looks like they can shoot a left-handed layup. And then we're going to, you know, pigeonhole them into a particular trait or whatever. And we're going to put them on these teams. And we're just going to sit here and kind of cross our fingers and hope no team gets blown out over the other, which if they would just let the kids show up on game day and be like, Hey, I got you, you're going here, you're going here. And if a couple games are lopsided, they'll fix it themselves. Yep. And, and, and I think that that speaks to sort of what you're talking about, like at our core, Nobody wants to play in a lopsided game. Nobody wants to watch it. But I don't think most people want to play in one either. You know, and, and coming from somebody who got to coach in a couple of state championship games, and one of those, yeah, we were up 20 in the fourth quarter, and that was a great, that was a great feeling. You know, but the other one, the, the one that was a little more memorable that I can tell you more about was the one where we were in the semifinals before that, where we were down 11 in the fourth quarter, and we had to put some magic together in order to get to that next one. Like mm -hmm. that's the one that I remember the most about. And if I want to tell a story when I'm 80 years old to grandkids, that's the one that I'm going to tell. Because I think that there is something to it about there, there's value in the, what's that book? The obstacle is the way, right? There, there's, there's value in sort of walking uphill both ways and not everything being handed to you or easy and, and so on and so forth. And that's when I, you and I are on record with this over and over and over again, but it's not the kids these days. Nope. It's the adults these days. hundred percent. Who are paving that and not allowing kids to figure out what competitiveness actually is and just trust it, let it happen. And it might take some a little bit longer and it might get, they might get there at different times and different pathways and so on and so forth. But that's why I feel like if we would just kind of get out of the way, a lot of this stuff would sort of auto-correct itself. It would, and I'm glad that you said that. And again, none of these conversations are, are planned, but that's a perfect sort of encapsulation of where I was going with this point of like, when you are learning to compete by playing games that you have invested your time in wanting to play, and that the one thing that can be taken away from you when you don't compete the right way is the opportunity to play again. You learn to fix a lot of things really fast, fast, really fast. All right. So, you know, if I, if we go out and I'm shooting every shot and I think that I'm the main character, somebody's going to come over and say, Hey, you know what? We don't want you on our team anymore. Who are you going to run to when that happens? Right? Because in organized sport, especially now, there's always a place that you can run away from competition. There's always a place. 
I mean, I guess you could take your ball and go home and find another park where you're the, you know, you are the main character, right? But at the end of the day, this isn't just about sport either. This is about your work life. This is about you in relationships. This is about you in society. How do you view competition? I'm not competing with my fellow assistant directors of admissions to see how many kids we can interview and how many applications we can get. I'm not, that's not what I'm doing. I'm just going to go do my job really, really well and encourage them to do their job really, really well so that our place of employment wins. And so that our admissions team looks like we know what we're doing. And in reality, we're getting really, really high quality reps at doing these interviews and dis discerning who belongs in our community and who doesn't, right? Who would make our community better and who won't? That's the job. And so we are competing, quote unquote, against some of these other prep schools. But at the end of the day, it's always going to be the people that make the difference. So how do we showcase that in a competitive way and know that, yeah, some of these other schools might have XYZ facility or they have XYZ marketing people to offer this, that, and the other, but like we have what we have and we're really good about what we have and we can showcase that in the right way to where we don't need to pick up our ball and go to another court. We can actually compete against these schools that may be newer or whatever it is, right? And so like all of these things sort of permeate the entirety of life. And so when you think about that sign, and I'll throw it to you here, that sign that says like uncoachable kids become unemployable adults, here's what I really think. All right. Maybe that should say adults who don't teach their children to compete the right way, make sure their, their children will be unemployable adults. Yeah, it's again, it's not the kids' fault. We are products of our environment. I am very, I, I'm a very big believer in sort of the ecological design that we will tailor ourselves to our experiences. And most kids can't control their experience. They can't control the environment that they're in. I mean, that there is no control over that. Now, what can they control? How they handle it and yada, yada, yada. But we as the adults in the room, again, we tell on ourselves all the time about being the least committed person in the room because we will complain about the very environment and system that we have established and then blame it on somebody else for the results that we ultimately designed and baked in. And I think that to your point about like within your department, that was sort of like a, a rising tide lifts all boats kind of situation where, yeah, we're competing against these other schools and we're competing within our own department about getting kids in through admissions. But if I can be really good and quote unquote lead by example and influence the other people around you and that forces them to get better and maybe they even pass you up a little bit and you're like, ah, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to try to pass you up now. Now we're getting in better people for our community and eventually we're going to have the school that everybody else wants to be like and that's going to force them to raise their game. And and next thing you know like that standard of that line that people talk about wherever that line is gets moved up a little bit higher or a little bit further. And yeah, it might have to be adjusted here or there, but 
as long as we're continually striving together to push that, then that's a win, at least in my mind. Um, and I think in terms of your own small societies, so even like in my own head, learning how to teach U.S. history, learning how to do game notes, learning how to write a press release, learning how to write a, a recap about a women's basketball game, all things I didn't know how to do a year and a half ago. I'm competing against myself in terms of quality and then like the time that it takes, right? Like game notes are beasts, man. If you do it right, like it could take three, four hours to get it done. But if I can compete to streamline this and I can get it to where I could do it in two and a half hours, then it's like, I felt so good about myself because I was like, man, I dominated myself from a week ago. And I think back from a year and a half ago when I took this new role on, how much better I am at so many other things through the reps and the experiences that I've gotten. And that's something, that's the, I think that's the feel good. That's what you feel proud about, right? Because you, you're, you're, your past version of yourself almost becomes so unrecognizable to you. I go back and look at some of the first graphics that I ever made. Absolute garbage. Just awful stuff. Bro. And at the we, time... We had this conversation probably, what, like two months ago? We like pulled yes. up old graphics and looked at them? Awful. And awful. But at the time, I thought they were amazing. You know? And, and again, like I think as, as long as you continually, continually improve... You know, and what's one of the, again, sort of another little coach speaky thing, like, you know, if what you did yesterday still looks good today, then you haven't done anything, that kind of, that sort of thing. I do think there is some truth and some value in that, that you do want sort of your past self to be a little unrecognizable because that's you pushing yourselves. And then if we're going to compare ourselves to another organization, another team, another department, whatever, I would want my group, my unit, everybody else is looking at us going, man, they do so much extra stuff. Like they go the extra mile, man. I can't believe they're doing those extra things, but what somebody else views as extra is really just normal for us. You know, you're saying, man, I can't believe Kyle would go above and beyond and do X, Y, and Z. And in my mind, like X, Y, and Z, that's just a normal day. So in, so to me, that's me getting better. And that's me being better than you. Ultimately, I want my normal to look so above and beyond what everybody else is doing that that just becomes standard for me because that's my character. That's the consistency of my positive habits. That's me dominating the next best decision in the moment, regardless of whatever the circumstance or things that are thrown my way that are outside of my control. And is any of this stuff easy? Hell no. Absolutely not. Are there days that you want to give up? Are there days that, you know, you don't feel like you can do it and you're in your own head and everything feels hopeless and all those kinds? Absolutely. That stuff happens to everybody. That's life. You're, you're human. But your ability to bounce back from that is also your ability to compete with yourself against your own inner voice and, and sort of rise above whatever external formulas that you might be, be facing. And I think those are also opportunities that we individually have to look back on and be like, man, I was so down about this and I showed up to work that day. Mm -hmm. That's a win. I was so concerned about playing that team in that summer league game. And we actually showed up and, you know, we competed and we only lost by eight. Like, I'm so glad we went through with that because I think a lot of times we all say that we're competitive and that we want competitors around us. 
But if we were really honest with ourselves, a lot of times, true competition and true competitive people scare the ever living crap out of us because it forces us to be honest with ourselves. Yep. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a hundred percent accurate that, yeah, I wrote down while you were talking, it's just like you, you have to compete first against your own imposter syndrome, right? That like, do I really belong on this court or on this field or in this job or in this relationship, in this house, whatever it is. Like we talked about imposter syndrome a little, a few couple episodes ago with, um, the Morton steakhouse example. Hmm. It's okay. We all deal with that stuff all the time. And so that inner voice that we have that that guides a lot of our decision making, we can't allow that inner voice to be muddied with the external formulas. And I say the external formulas, sometimes they can be as close as like they can be internal from your own family. Oh, there, there's no way you can win that game. Oh, I don't even know what we're going to do. We don't have all of our players and we have to play that team. Oh my God. If that's the dinner table conversation, are you raising a competitive kid or are you raising a front runner? You've already lost. You've already lost. You have lost not just that game, but you have lost that part of life. If that is the mentality that you have going into anything challenging. Life is meant to challenge you. And as a kid, so like, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I didn't like being challenged as a kid. I enjoyed being good at the things I was good at. But I also knew, and this is kudos to my parents, that when I was exposed to new things, I had to give it a try and I had to give it my best shot. And this is what I'm talking about when I'm like little, 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 like two, three, four years old. The stories go that I was very stubborn as a child, that I did not want to do those things. But then my mom figured out that I loved to like use my hands to do things. I was a very tactile kid. So she gave me these crazy things to do, like she would have different colors of rice in, uh, in cups and she would dump them all out on my high chair table and tell me to sort them out by color. And so I had to pick up little individual grains of rice and put them in cups that corresponded with the color. As a two, three-year-old, that could keep, number one, kept me busy for hours, right? So she could get things done, right? (laughs) Right. It's a free babysitter. Number two, it helped me develop pretty good motor skills and fine motor skills. But number three, it taught me the value of perseverance. I didn't know that at the time, right? I'm two or three years old. I couldn't even say the word perseverance. But when you experience things like that, nobody has to sit there and debrief with you afterwards to say, now, what did you learn from this experience, Asim? Did you learn that it's okay to struggle? Did you learn that it's okay to compete? No, nobody had to go and say that to me, right? It was, no, here, do this thing. See what happens afterwards. Were you frustrated by it? Probably. Did it help you? Sure. Would you do it again? Did I have a choice at two to three years old? Probably not. Right. My mom probably just set those cups in front of me and said, here, do it again. Yeah. Right. But then that turns into, hey, help me cook. 
shell these peas, shell these beans, cut this up, do that, boil the right, right? And so you become more responsible and all of a sudden you're competing against what the standard used to be in the house. All of a sudden you get a little more trust from the people in your life that you can handle something that's difficult because you tried it once, you might've failed at it. We're going to try it again, right? Now, and it's not a blanket statement. I don't want it to sound like, like I'm being um, dismissive of some some of our young people. I think young people have gone through a lot socially, and I just think like there's it's totally different now for them than it was. And it's like you said, it's the adults in the room. But like when you try something in practice for the first time, you're not going to be good at it. But if you're competitive, you're going to say, "Yo, let me run that back." Let me try that again. If you have that real growth mindset, not the one that like people talk about as if they know what growth mindset is, but they don't. If you have that growth mindset, then like you're going to be fine when it comes to competing. And you're not going to worry about the fact that like you may or may not be the best player in your gym or on your field or in your town. That's okay. You're not going to run away when some big bad wolf comes, comes to your door and is trying to blow your house down because you've already reinforced that house with your habits and you trust yourself. So when we allow those external things to jump in and say, oh, nope, can't do that. Like, how does a kid learn not to put the penny in the light socket? If every time we told the kid not to put the penny in the light socket, what do you think they'd really, really, really want to do? They'd really, really want to put the penny in the light socket. So why don't we just let them get their eyebrows blown off one time and then they ain't going to put the penny in the light socket anymore. It's okay. It helps become a little bit more competitive and they see what the limits are. Instead of we constantly are trying to shape this experience and clear the path and like make it as easy as possible. And then they're trying to test the limits anyway. And now all of a sudden, because we as the adult in the room have adulterated competition and striving together and bringing my best to know that they're going to bring their best and we are going to do this thing together, we're all going to get better. And yes, we have to fight that imposter syndrome and that's life. Now we're having to do double the work to try to solve the problem for them too, because we didn't equip them in the first place to solve the problem on their own or to rely on other people to help them solve the problem. Because we didn't let them play pickup. We didn't let them sort the rice. We didn't do all those things that create some of that resilience, that create some of that competitiveness of, I don't want to lose a chance to participate. Therefore, I am going to try as hard as I can. And if I still don't get it, I know that I did what I could to make this work. And isn't that like the most valuable thing in a relationship too? Instead of just giving up and going on to something else, like you fight for something that you care about. What do we really care about? Do we care about what winning brings us? Do we care about what going to a particular school or level or any of that stuff brings us? Or do we care about the process of actually getting there? And then we're prepared to do what it is that's going to be required of us when we get there because we're doing it now. Or do we just get there and it's like all of a sudden, okay, well, I achieved what I wanted to achieve. Now I actually have to put up or shut up here. Oh, by the way, they're just going to recruit over me next year. Oh, by the way, my contract's not going to be renewed next year. Oh, by the way, 
this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And now I have to transfer because we didn't have that clarity and alignment to begin with about how competition affects and rears its head in our own lives. So a couple things, as you were talking there, you said, what do we care about? So understanding what we care about, but then I think the next part of that question to go back to like the, in like a youth sport context, I think it's not what is being cared about. It's who is actually caring about it. Does the eight-year-old actually care about the, the ring for coming in third in the under eight travel ball tournament? Or is it their parent really cares about that? And is it that Kids these days don't care about this or that, or is it that their parents are the ones that really care about this or that? Is it more about that child's experience or is it more about the parent trying to win the Christmas party? And I think that's a, a valid question to be asked, especially when we're seeing these results over and over again. And, and a lot of people are calling out a lot of these youth spaces for what they are. And it's like, well, these are problems. And it's like, okay, well, then what are the what are the solutions going to be um, for those things? But the other thing that made me uh, kind of was jogging me over here was just coming back to the word awareness and putting somebody in an experience, in an environment, forcing them to go through something, to reflect on it, and then simply raise their awareness to what that is. And 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 the awareness might just simply be them understanding what might be possible or what's not possible in that moment. And by increasing the level of awareness to what is possible, that is going to change our belief in something. And one of my favorite little sayings is that belief moves efficacy. If we can change your belief in something, we can change your efficacy. And if we can change the efficacy in something, then we can change your abilities to actually do something. And then that becomes this cyclical you know, process over and over and over again, where you, you see that change in your abilities, you recognize that you got better at something, you're aware of that. And then we just get to start the process all over again. And you're like, man, if I was able to do this, then maybe I could go a little bit further. And that belief starts to grow. And next thing you know, after you go through that, that cycle a handful of times, now that former version of ourselves starts to be less recognizable. Um, and again, I think a great example of this is, you know, if you take somebody to a golf course or you, you know, hey, put a ball three inches from the cup and you say, put this in, like you could sit there and maybe do that over and over and over again. And like, while hearing the sound of the ball going in the, you know, the hole sounds great. Eventually you're going to get a little bored with that. And it's like, well, let me see if I can, I can back up to three feet and make a putt over and over and over again. Or, you know, we're going to play basketball, but the basket is only like five feet tall. Yeah, okay, we can jump. I can maybe dunk through my legs, you know, a couple times and that'll be fun. But eventually, that level of efficacy is going to become boring. And I'm going to want a more natural challenge to something. And if you were ever a kid, especially in like the 80s and 90s before technology really kind of consumed us, especially if you had a, a sibling, older, younger, or just neighborhood kids. I think back a lot of times to just like silly little games that we would just simply make up. Like, hey, we have a, a ball and a stick, or hey, we found this broken Frisbee, or hey, we've, we've got this, or hey, we've got that. And the amount of creativity in 
creating some new game, new competition, and you play with it a little bit, you try it a little bit, and it's like, hey, let's try it. Let's see who can do this. And it turns out that both of us can actually accomplish this fairly easily. Okay, well, what can we do to make this more challenging? All right, let me level this up again. And so now if you just take that mindset into the basketball gym, and it's like, okay, what can we do to level up this drill? What's sort of the good, better, best of, all right, we're dribbling in place and we're bored because I can dribble in place. All right, well, now I need to be able to dribble past a defender. And then we get to where we can sort of recognize a small advantage and, and get past that defender. But now we introduce the next level. Now there's a help defender. Now we have to introduce another decision layer of shot or pass. And then even after that, what comes next? And so again, by, by just continuing to scaffold the experience and making things more challenging, I think that's how you start to compete against yourselves, compete with each other, to strive together, utilizing each other as a sparring partner. And over time, quicker for some, take longer for others. But, you know, journey over destination, all that kind of stuff. That's how future us is so unrecognizable from past us. There's value, I think, in the challenge that we don't really think about when we think about competition. Like it's always been maybe like, you know, me versus them. And we have, we're playing the green team when we're in youth or like we're playing platinum stars, elite, you know, double gold, whatever in AAU. And then we're traveling here and doing that. And it's like, where's the challenge? Is the challenge in the game itself or is the challenge in all the things that led up to the game? Is it the challenge of, you know, what, what success can look like this weekend as opposed to last weekend? Right. Maybe last weekend we're playing locally. This weekend we're on the road and we're playing different teams. And we and like you just we spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about what the opponent's going to do to us. We just like disable ourselves. Right. We just sort of like shut ourselves down. And I think there's something to be said for embracing the challenge and waking up every day being like, yo, I'm going to be challenged today. And that's cool. And I think especially when you think about people who are able to opt out of challenge, and you and I talk about no opt out all the time, people who are able to opt out of the challenge aren't really ever going to be competitive. They get to pick and choose when they want to opt out of something. Whereas if you can't opt out of a challenge, like if, if daily you are dealing with this challenge or that challenge, that's why I like, I really admire my wife. Like my wife deals with some, you know, mental health things. And every day is a challenge for her to just show up authentically as herself. Right. She goes and she teaches second grade. She's amazing at it. And she's able then to overcome that challenge, which to me makes her a competitor, right? She's competing against and competing with herself to be the best version she can for her students and for me and for our family and things like that. And so to me, like that inner voice that she has to handle is maybe more significant than, and we're not comparing people's issues or whatever, but like in the scheme of sport, if all you got to do is show up and play, great. 
But if that's all we are thinking the experience is, is showing up and playing, I put up my numbers, I did what I needed to do, we're missing the point. The point is to embrace that challenge, whatever it is. And this turns into an equity conversation too from the coaching aspect. Like, do we know what the challenges are that our kids are facing or that our players are facing, that our peers are facing when they have to come through the door and show up as themselves and keep showing up? Right. How hard is it, Kyle? And, and remember, like you and I have had these conversations too, perhaps not on, on microphone, but a lot over the last six, seven years, like going to school the next day after getting our heads stoved in by 30. If I'm not a competitor, I don't want to show up. And there were some days where I was like, yo, I really don't want to go to work. I have no interest in seeing anybody right now. Like I need to go into my little cave and hide. And that's a natural human thing that happens. But what we can't do is, is look at it as like, when we lose, it's the end of the world. What was the challenge that we faced last night? What do I need to do to help improve our team? So when that challenge happens again, We've learned something and we don't just do the same thing over and over again, thinking we're going to get better. How do I not just, I'm never going to be able to make it easier to play against at the time they were TC Williams High School. Now they're Alexandria City High School. I'm never going to be able to make it easier to play against this team. They're just too good. Compare like talent wise, they were just too good. So what do we need to do in order to, to create, as you said, the belief that moves the efficacy to where we might be able to have a lead with two minutes left, we might be able to be within striking distance with two, three minutes left, and now we can make our final push. Instead of it being a 50-point game at halftime, and we're not, we shouldn't even play the second half. That's competition. They are going to force me to do something different, to adjust, and I need to be able to do the same thing to them. And truth be told, we beat them once. And then the next year, we had them with two minutes to go, and their talent just overwhelmed ours at the end of the game. And then the very last time we played them, they beat us by 50. It just is what it is. What It doesn't mean that they're always going to win. It doesn't mean that we're always going to lose. It means that if that's the measuring stick, I want to know how far off we are from being considered that for somebody else and not to lose the fact that we are here simply to improve because this is not a final destination for anybody. I mean, you even think about in the pros, like what we've talked about this sort of ad nauseum, like what do all the guys in the NBA say to these skill trainers and people who want to work with them, these other coaches that want to work with them? How are you going to make me better? How are you going to help me improve? How are you going to help me get to where I want to go? Get my next contract. This is my livelihood. As far as I know, I don't know anybody in the NBA or the WNBA who necessarily is like a devout essential coaching conversations fan. I mean, that'd be great if they were, right? So for anybody who's listening right now, this is your avocation, right? This is not your player's job. But we can still have the same mindset of being competitive, meaning how is this going to make me better today? How is this going to impact me today? How do I impact others and make them better today? 
And so it is a leadership conversation. It is a character conversation. And if we can start to adapt our thought processes to what competition really consists of, all of a sudden, and here's your made-up statistic again. We've dropped it twice this episode. Twice. Here's your made-up statistic. 90% of our problems just go away because the trepidation of playing this game or doing this or doing that is always, always worse than actually doing it.